Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to this uh, Bitcoin white paper event. We are recording this on October 31st, 2023. It is block 814722, and the current exchange rate of Bitcoin is $34,584 US dollars per Bitcoin. So this event is being sponsored by Finney21 to commemorate, honor, and celebrate the 15th anniversary of Satoshi unveiling the Bitcoin white paper. So Finney21 is a full-service Bitcoin consulting firm. Uh, it was established at Block 801408, and it's basically a team of hardcore Bitcoiners who are uh, consulting and on a mission to accelerate the transition to scarce money. And they do that by uh, helping individuals, companies, family offices understand, acquire, and custody Bitcoin. So Finney21.com is their website if you want to get in touch, F-I-N-N-E-Y after Hal Finney. Uh, my name is Caribou. I have the honor of hosting today's session. Uh, this video, uh, the video of this event is going to be posted on YouTube and the audio is going to be uploaded as a podcast, both at Bitcoin Stoa, S-T-O-A. So if you enjoy this event and you want to support the project, you can zap Finney21 on Noster, or you can also boost sats to the podcast using Fountain. And all the funds that they receive on Fountain or through zaps that use the message 10 31 are going to be put towards our next event on January 3rd, 2024, which is the 15th anniversary of the Genesis block. So, all right, let's get into it. The Bitcoin white paper is a nine page, 2,736 word document with 12 sections. It was written in academic style to explain how Bitcoin would work and the problems that Bitcoin could solve. And with this creation, Satoshi Nakamoto initiated a revolution for humanity. So through a piece of software, Satoshi effectively birthed a discovery that is slowly but surely reshaping the world and gradually repricing everything in a truthful unit of account, which I think is duly needed. Satoshi created, an, you know, he offered an exit basically from the fiat experiment that is stealing people's time and creating extraordinary amounts of suffering around the world. And he began a peaceful revolution that's lowering our collective time preference and bringing humanity into alignment with truth truth and granting every human on earth undeniable property rights and a connection to the digital trade network within the internet economy. So it's a pretty significant thing despite being a nine page paper. Uh, it really is quite amazing to witness how profoundly this tool is influencing humanity in so many different areas. And today is really about celebrating Bitcoin and honoring the significance of how much better the world is becoming with Bitcoin. Um, I found three interesting facts about the white paper, which were curated by Pete Rizzo from Bitcoin Magazine. One is that the Bitcoin white paper was published exactly 490 years to the day after Martin Luther's published his 95 theses, which sparked a revolution to separate church and state. And I find it interesting, the timing, considering Satoshi's paper essentially separated money and state. Um, fun fact number two, the word Bitcoin only appears twice in the entire white paper which looking back, I'm like, I didn't believe it, but then I looked at it and it's actually true. Uh, and the last interesting thing is that in his early emails, Satoshi wrote that he had actually been working on the code for Bitcoin two years before the white paper was released. He actually wrote specifically, I had to write the code before I could convince myself. And I think that's like such a beautiful builder's mindset that I think is embodied well um, by Bitcoiners and sort of by anyone who's aligning with Bitcoin. So today, it's 420 right now. Tried to tee this up, so I started exactly at 420. So mission accomplished. We have three really thoughtful and knowledgeable Bitcoiners who have joined us to share their insights on the white paper and on self-custody. So very grateful uh, to have you three gentlemen here and just really excited to absorb your wisdom. The first half, the speakers are going to share their insights on the Bitcoin white paper for 10 minutes each. And the second half of this session, speakers are going to drop some knowledge bombs about self-custody. So super grateful to have you, Luke, Dan, and Santosh here uh, and for everyone listening. So our first speaker is Luke Broyles, and he is a Bitcoin advisor, a filmmaker, and although he's humble and will deny it, he has this uncanny and very unique ability to actually speak about Bitcoin in a profound way. Um, and it's just from the first time I heard him speak, it's very impressive. So Luke, thanks for being here. And the stage is all yours for the next 10 minutes to share your insights on the white paper. Well, thank you. 
thanks for having me. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> it's uh, hopefully it's a little bit humility, but I, I, a lot of it too is just like everyone puts the bar so high. It's like <laughs> you know, um, but uh, yeah, I appreciate it, uh, and I appreciate the invite because um, yeah, it's it's fun. Frankly, it snuck up on me. October thirty first snuck up on me. Um, you know, this year, just because the world's going so fast, I feel like time on Bitcoin is radically different than the rest of the world. So I was like, oh, yeah, today's white paper day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it, it's, in my mind, I think of January 3rd more as the big day, but, you know, really today's just as much a big day, I guess. It's a um, big pre-day before before the real day, January 3rd, I guess. But um, anyway, yeah, so, so the white paper, um, what's it mean to me? I, I think what I think to be what is so cool about the white paper is just the simplicity. Like you said, it's only 2,700 words long. It's only nine pages long, one of which is citations. There's only eight people in the citation. Um, so, well, eight citations, uh, not eight people. But um, yeah, it, it, just the simplicity is so elegant. I, I made this post yesterday um, about the difficulty adjustment. You know, I know a lot of financial advisors and a lot of them are into Bitcoin and they're actually understanding it a lot of them don't understand bitcoin and a lot claim they've researched bitcoin but don't know what's difficulty adjustment or don't know their simple things about bitcoin and to me the beauty of the white paper is that it's so simple that it's like it's very difficult to have the excuse to learn nothing about bitcoin know nothing about bitcoin because it's literally eight pages long it's technical and it's you know but it's like there are pictures and it's in pretty simple language and Obviously, just because it's eight pages, it's probably pretty dense eight pages for most people, especially those that aren't into computers. Um, but to me, it, it's a simplicity that's the elegance, right? You know, I, I liked, I forget the quote you said um, on the intro, but uh, it, it was a quote Satoshi had of, I couldn't believe it until I wrote the quote, or I had to write the quote first because I wouldn't believe it. And I think a lot of us feel the same way. Probably a lot of people listening out there feel the same way that it's like, it's really hard to believe until like you see it and you use it and you get used to it and your brain gets used to it and you're like oh yeah i mean how do we ever see anything different and i think i i think in retrospect it's so obvious that that's exactly what it had to be in retrospect it had to be so simple so clean so elegant and so obvious that it was unbelievable i mean frankly it's like the zoom call right now i mean we have all four of us you know i don't even know where you know the other three are right now people listening to this are probably all over the world you know for my job at the bitcoin advisor uh i i consult with clients all over the world like i've already talked to people from five six different countries around the world today it's just like i use zoom all the time now i use email all the time i use my phone all the time i use my car all the time and all these things to me are so simple it's just like i don't know how any of this works i don't know how zoom works like I, I know the basics of how the internet works. I know the basics of how my car works. It's like, you know, I'm no mechanic, but you know, it, it's just amazing to me that how simple all these innovations are and they build on top of each other. And to me, that's the beauty of the white paper. And that's the beauty of Bitcoin, that it's so simple that once you see it, it's like impossible to unsee, but until you've seen it, it's basically impossible to believe, you know, even, even with Satoshi, which is why I like that quote of how before he could convince himself and therefore convince the world, uh, he had he had to write the code and actually see that it was possible, you know, and and I, I think that goes to the whole engineering perspective or sailors metaphors or or the engineering mindset when it comes to Bitcoin. You know, when I was in Colorado, I, I went to Colorado back in September um, and I think it was like the first five people um, I saw there were all engineers. Right. So Preston, Preston Fish was one of them. But then like the other three or four were all also engineers. And it was just this weird thing is like, wait, we're at a Bitcoin event. Why is this like an engineering event? You know, it was so funny because I was like the one guy that wasn't an engineer there. Um, but, but it was like, again, in retrospect, it's so obvious because the best engineering solution is the simplest one, right? You don't need the complexity. The, I mean, I, I forget who said it, but um, it's a common common phrase, I guess, in engineering that the the best part is one that doesn't exist, right? So... So anyway, I, I think I made that point about, to me, that's what's so great about the white paper is just the simplicity um, of, of how it works. And everything else has been atop of that, you know? And I think that's, I think that's a common criticism too of what makes it so hard for people to understand. Because it's so simple, because it's so obvious, uh, it feels like it's a different world. It's like there's the Bitcoiners and there's the rest of the world, right? It's like, we feel like we're in our little world because we've seen the obvious thing that two plus two equals four and the rest of the world is like, you know, if, if we just change the numbers and we can get to, it's just like, 
using letters. It just makes no sense, right? But I think, I I think what most people are going to go through when it comes to learning about Bitcoin is realizing that it has to be that way and it has to be in that layered way over time, and that this human element of managing the math equation we call monetary policy is just completely redundant. It's completely not needed. We don't need humans to do that. You know, you don't need humans to do math equations. If, if you just build a little machine that can do those calculations for you, call it a calculator, I mean, forget the humans, right? It's just this unnecessary engineering component. And that's not an anti-human state, but it's, it's just it's just the reality that if, if you can build a machine that does something that humans can do better than humans, it's like it's the obvious thing to do. And that, that's like all we've ever done, right? We don't have to uh, farm anymore. We had our oxen do it. We don't have to make our own paper. We just have machines do it. You know, I mean, likewise, I don't have to exit my room right now and walk, you know, a thousand miles to you, then a thousand miles to you, then a thousand miles to you, and then relay this message. Like, I don't have to get on my feet, speak with you three, and then speak to the dozens, hundreds, or thousands of people listening to this across the world. Like, we just build a machine that does it for us. So, so anyway, I, I think that's what's cool about the white paper is just that it's modesty and it's simplicity. Just black and white reflects that. Um, you mentioned the um, 95 Theses of Martin Luther. I, I posted about that right before I came on here, it, you know, with my 95 reasons why Bitcoin instead of political currency. And, you know, it's it's um, to me, it's it's poetic in a certain sense. It's, it's interesting. It's ironic, um, you know, and I think that's that's the hope for me is that we can have all these reasons as to why this is better, but really, again, boiling it down to that fundamental base layer, I think it's just cut humans out of loop. You know, what, what was the problem Martin Luther was making? What was the point that Martin Luther was making? He was making the point that having humans in between man and God as like this me mediator of like, oh, you have to pay to atone for your sins. Like it was completely not just inefficient from an engineering perspective, but morally, theologically, spiritually wrong. And in a strange way, it's it's kind of it's it's a metaphorically similar thing here, where it's like you know if you're going to have between humans and math, you know it's like it's just humans are redundant. You know don't don't have humans do what only God can do, and don't have humans be monetary gods where we can just say I can manifest monetary energy out of thin air give it to other people across the planet and force it with the barrel of a gun, which is my form of monetary backing or my form of energy backing. It's like, you know, humans aren't God. That's, that's what it comes down to. And I think the beauty of Bitcoin is reflecting that, that humans shouldn't do math better than math can do itself. So. So good. That was brilliant. Thank you for staying on time. Um, so our second speaker uh, here to share his insights on the white paper is Dan Ostermeyer. And Dan is an emergency medicine doctor and a student of Bitcoin. I had the honor of interviewing Dan recently on the Bitcoin Stoa. Uh, actually, no, I think it was on, yeah, it was on the Bitcoin Stoa. Um, and actually, subtle story about this, when I did the podcast with Dan, he had mentioned that, I think it was during your medical school training, you took a weekend off to study the Bitcoin white paper. And you may not have done it for the whole weekend, but I remember you explicitly saying that. And I was like, part of me was like, shit, I haven't taken a weekend to study the white paper. I need to do this. And so part of this was my excuse to like really research the white paper as part of this sort of event. And my hope is to inspire people to actually honor this day in future by reading the white paper. I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna make a tradition to read the white paper on 1031, October 31st, every year, because the first time I read it, like basically the, the recent time I read it was the first time I read it, even though I've read it a few times before, because it's the first time I read it with the knowledge that I have today versus like three or four years ago, I had nowhere near the depth of knowledge and understanding of how elegant this actually is. And now when I read it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's even more incredible. So Dan, thank you for inspiring this event. Thanks for being here. And uh, it's all yours for the next 10 minutes. Yeah, thanks. I also love how you've nailed almost like the the theses of Martin Luther to uh, to your stairwell behind you. That's uh, that's great as well, um, Luke. That was awesome. Uh, I echo everything Luke just said. But one of the things I really want to sort of hone in on when I when I read the white paper for for this event again, um, and thinking about our current environment, the macro environment, the you know political environment, is that 
and and then also just thinking back to Satoshi, um, if you haven't read the book, The Book of Satoshi, it's one of the best books written, um, at least I think, on Bitcoin, which is just a collection of his writings uh, from uh, from Bitcoin Talk and some of his email correspondence that was uh, that has been released. Um, but uh, you you get an idea of the author uh, when you read the white paper, and you also get an idea when you read other works uh, that he's produced in terms of his writings online, and you realize that he was an incredibly intentional individual. Um, I'm just going to, you know, refer to, you know, the person Satoshi as an individual, just because we only know his one voice or her one voice. Uh, and, uh, and you realize that nothing is accidentally um, written. Um, and when you read this white paper, you, you realize very quickly that Satoshi understood the gravity of the invention that he was uh, he was creating. Um, he understood one that he was removing uh, if this was a successful system that was adopted this protocol that only has to simply outlive uh, him and other people uh, in order to have success. Protocols never die; they just become forgotten. And I think he realized as creating a protocol, a monetary protocol that in the process, it would demonetize many other monetary protocols. We operate on you know, a fiat monetary protocol in all the countries that we live on. Uh, the biggest monetary protocol is you know, the US dollar-based monetary protocol. It touches other protocols like the Euro dollar-based monetary protocol. Um, and I'm almost certain that while creating such a system, uh, Satoshi realized that uh, this protocol must be robust enough uh, and also um, he must be aware of uh, the system of which it was born into uh, because very early on in, the, in his white paper, and he has an entire section dedicated to this, he talks about the particular attack uh, in terms of you know, the longest chain attack uh, or the reorganizational attack. Uh, and he understood the adversarial environment that such a protocol would have to exist in. Um, one, this is just certain to all decentralized protocols is that since there is no you know, centralized protector of the protocol, it's by nature in an adversarial environment. But more importantly, by being a monetary protocol and one that um, would uh, naturally uh, take value from other protocols, um, there needed to be a few things, you know, that were very intrinsic to it. One, there had to be good incentives for individuals who were engaging in it, uh, especially uh, in the beginning to bootstrap it. And then later on during the potential uh, they fight you phase uh, to continue to support it. Um, and so there's an entire section dedicated simply to the incentive of running a node. Um, in that case, the original uh, node was a miner. So mining uh, in both an adversarial environment and also being able to verify transactions in an adversarial environment. Um, so he understood that there was going to need to be a way to incentivize people to at least have one or two nodes on the network at all times, because no matter how adversarial uh, various actors could be to the protocol, as long as there's one node, the entire protocol can be rebootstrapped. As long as there's one miner uh, that's honest, the entire, uh, you know, the entire protocol can continue to process transactions uh, for, you know, for the period of time in which it could be attacked. Uh, and he also understood that later on when he talked about the privacy, uh, you know, properties of Bitcoin, he understood that this protocol in order to actually be functional, although we've come a long way in privacy on the, on the base chain since it's, uh, since it's release, uh, was that this protocol had to be completely self-contained. He talks about, you know, he understanding that in the current system, when we uh, are financially uh, transacting, um, it might appear that we have a private transaction, um, but there's always a, you know, a third party in between. That third party can choose to keep our privacy um, intact, um, or they you know, can choose to, to not keep our privacy intact. Whereas this, you know, this protocol in its beauty um, by existing, if you truly, if you stay within the Bitcoin system uh, and you have a new address, uh, or he describes a new public key per transaction, uh, that uh, you can really maintain, you know, incredible amounts of privacy, not anonymity, or you can maintain incredible amounts of anonymity by not, uh, by not, um, or pseudo anonymity by not interacting outside of the Bitcoin protocol. But as soon as, you know, you selectively reveal yourself uh, to any other third party, whether it be an exchange or an individual you're transacting with, um, there is, you know, a potential for, you know, a privacy leak. But the fact that he dedicated an entire section to both the incentives to privacy and also to the uh, 
the potential, uh, which he saw as one of the biggest attacks in terms of uh, the, the ch uh, a reorganization chain attack, shows that he understood that at some point in the future, if this was successful, there would be uh, there would be um, adversaries, you know, coming against it. So I think that's really important um, as we sort of reflect on our current state in the world um, that this was born into an adversarial environment and also, um, you know, is intended to continue to always exist uh, to exist within one. Beautiful. I agree. And I think it is incredible how deeply it, you know, sometimes it's like the more you know about something, the more you know how much you don't know and how many depths of things there are to know. It's kind of one of those things with um, the white paper, right? Like when you read it, you kind of, you know, you can read it at face value and see the words, but if you don't actually have context for understanding how significant and how crucial, like literally existentially crucial, the incentive structure is, and even something like the difficulty adjustment is, you don't really appreciate how incredible it is until you actually start to understand that yourself, which is usually, well, at least in my experience, was like a very far along thing. Um, and yeah, Dan, you notice the white paper on the background. I think you said the 95 theses. I was like, where do I have those? Uh, but this white paper came from a girl in Argentina. She's 19 and I came across her on Noster and basically I bought this from her because her story was when she was born, um, actually, give me two seconds. I just want to see what she actually wrote. I have her letter right here. Give me one sec. I didn't plan on that, but um, when she was born, so this is one section of this handwritten letter that she wrote me because I, I basically spent 220 sats on this because I knew it was going to someone who understood Bitcoin and Bitcoin was extremely important for because she kind of told her story. And part of her letter, she says, I'm a young Argentinian. Uh, I don't know what it feels like to live in a country without inflation. When I was born, you could buy a US dollar with three Argentinian pesos. Now you need 1,000 pesos to buy $1. So the peso has lost 99.7% of its value during my lifetime. And how does this impact our lives? Well, prices change every day and they're always higher, never lower. So that's just like one little sort of real life example of how when money, you know, and I think, I don't actually think Argentina is fundamentally different than the United States or than Canada. I think they're just way further along the curve. And I think mathematically, all of these political currencies that don't have a tether to reality kind of end up there. Um, but yeah, I just realized that having the white paper somewhere where I cross every day will make me appreciate it more. And it has so far. So thanks for noticing that, Dan. Uh, our third speaker um, is Santosh, and uh, he's a Bitcoin educator. He is the person uh, behind studentofbitcoin.com, I believe. Let me know if I screwed that up. I don't think I did. Um, and yeah, so let's hear what you say. have to say about the um, about the white paper, because I heard you talk on our recent Bitcoin consultant call and you're just a really thoughtful, uh, thoughtful guy. And I looked at your resources and, you know, I love learning from people who just have deep knowledge of Bitcoin and are doing the work of sharing it with others and teaching others, because I think to teach something, you have to understand it deeply. So Santosh, the stage is yours and thanks for being here. Thank you, Caribou, for having me. Uh, big shout out for Finney 21 for hosting this event. Uh, glad to meet Dan and Luke. Uh, I'll definitely hit you guys up on Twitter soon, or sorry, sorry X. Um, the white paper. So, you know, you two have touched on it. I dis Because I know it's going third, I wanted to take a different approach and really talk about sort of the adoption or more so the perspective of how does a student approach the white paper? And the white paper played a pivotal role in my journey in Bitcoin and really made me realize that I wanted to be a student of this subject. When I discovered Bitcoin many years ago, you know, the white paper seemed to have this mythical status. Like, you know, you listen to a podcast, white paper. You read an article, white paper. You watch a video, hey, do you read this white paper? It was everywhere. So a couple of months in, I knew I had to read it. So I printed it sat down, got my highlighters, my pencils ready. And within the second page, when I got to digital signatures, I'm like, you know what? This isn't going to be as easy as I thought it was because what the hell is a hash of signing it from the previous transaction even mean? And as I got through each section, I had to read more, see more videos, watch more uh, articles. And I just kept going on and on and on. 
And what really stuck with me was that I found this urge to learn and understand what it was all about and a deep desire that I'd lost in my university days. And Luke, you mentioned about engineers. Yes, we love to keep it simple, stupid. And the white paper, although is simple in nature, it can get very complex in certain sections. So as I just tried to distill this information, take down notes, it ultimately led me to create the pseudonym Student of Bitcoin. And over the years, I've taken countless visual notes on this topic. So imagine colors, drawings, and minimal text. That's sort of like my style of note taking. And I made it all available for free because I believe in open source education. Why am I mentioning all this? Well, the white paper, as simple as it can be for certain individuals, is not exactly the most approachable document for many others. And for us to really make Bitcoin sort of ever present, we need to ensure that we reduce the barrier to entry for the white paper. And I've always thought about this and I hadn't really put it to the test. So yesterday, I finally, my brother just landed in Egypt to visit us. And I went to my brother, showed him the original white paper, and I said, give this a read. Uh, he is a chemical engineer. He looks at schematics all day. So I didn't think it'd be too complicated. His reaction was, you know what? I'll do this later. I'm not in the right mood. I need to take notes and uh, let's do it tomorrow. I said, fair enough. I handed him my visual notes. So it's the white paper that's distilled in a visual manner. And I'm like, would you want to read this? He said, sure, let me take a look. 20 minutes later, he had gone through my notes and I asked what he'd learned. He said, well, you said there's this thing called proof of work. Uh, there's this timestamp thing. Uh, you're announcing transactions publicly. And there was also this thing about the, the drawing with like the angel and the attacker, where if the angel controls more power, they secure the network. And he was really referring to the amounts of energy that the honest nodes are controlling. And I was quite surprised with the information he retained because it proved my sentiment towards the white paper which is if we can make it easier for people to consume this information, we're just going to get more people understanding what the white paper is all about because everyone learns differently. You've got auditorial learners, you've got visual learners, and you've got, learn, you've got learners that need to actually do it. So they need to explain what the white paper is to someone else. So my feedback to someone that is actually looking to learn and read the white paper is first and foremost, know that it's going to take you time. It's going to take some effort and you need to be patient. Start with some kind of summary, you know, take a simplified version, a podcast, a video, an article, print the white paper, go through it slowly, research the relevant topics that are new, you know, cryptography may not make sense, Merkle trees may not make sense, take notes, write questions. And I've learned the best teaching tool and learning tool is really trying to explain it to others. If you can't explain a concept to someone else, it's unlikely that you understand it. So if you are able to understand, explain Bitcoin in its rudimentary fashion after reading the white paper, you're progressing in that journey. And, you know, you two mentioned it briefly about certain sort of specifics that were excluded from the white paper. You know, the term blockchain is not mentioned. 10 minute block intervals are not mentioned. Difference in nodes, whether it's mining or full node, the 21 cap. And the network has come a really long way. And... I find it very funny because sometimes I tell people, you know, your funds can be accessed through these 12 words known as a seed word or a private key. And some react, sometimes I get the reaction, wait, what? 12 words? Why can't I just have one word? That's what passwords are, right? I don't want 12 words. And little do they know, I mean, before we had BIP39, it was this extremely long alphanumeric string of characters, which made it even more difficult to take self-custody, but we've improved, we've iterated. So I'll talk more about self-custody when we get that section. Uh, call me crazy, but the white paper being titled electronic cash system, to me, that has always meant Bitcoin needs to be used. And right now we associate Bitcoin with the words buy, sell, and hold. And the day we start hearing the words earn and spend more, it'll act as a great marker for Bitcoin adoption and the sentiment for the community as a whole. And it's going to take time. And I hate to say this, going to the example that Caribou, you mentioned, the streets held this little whiteboard that said, Bitcoin, ask me. Sorry, I'm muted. You kind of got a little bit blurry. I don't know if it was just for me or someone else, but you said, I hate to say, and then it kind of slowed down. So if you pick up right then, you're good. 
I hate to say, oh, I was about pain. So it's relating to the girl in Argentina. And earlier this year, I hit the streets. I had those little whiteboard. It said Bitcoin messages. You know, one day I went out with free Bitcoin penny. The other day was Bitcoin asked me anything. And I just tried iterating with different messages to see how strangers on the streets perceive Bitcoin. And very quickly, I learned people in Canada don't give a shit. And they don't have any willingness to learn. And there is no openness. So my hypothesis there was maybe being robbed 2 to 6% doesn't seem too bad. Maybe robbery at a higher scale is when the eyes will open. So I, I, you know, I'm sort of on a Bitcoin pilgrimage with my wife right now. We just went through Jordan, we're in Egypt. And it's insane to see how open people are when there's an economic crisis in their hands and they're seeking an alternative. And I don't like economic pain being the, the, the catalyst for Bitcoin conversations, but unfortunately, that seems to be the case. And that got me wondering if the white paper wasn't released in 2008 during the recession, would it have been perceived the same way? I'm not sure. I don't have an answer. Maybe not. But I do believe that we may not have progressed to the current stage that we're at. We're probably, we would have moved at a slower rate given when it was actually released with the timing of the recession. All to say, I'm just excited for the future. You know, the past 15 years has been such rapid development. And if we're comparing to internet, internet when it was 15 years, I believe web pages were just being invented. And when I first came across the internet 30 years ago, it was Windows 95, a dial-up connection, and now it's everywhere. Everything we do has an internet. So we're in for a wild journey, and I'm excited to see how Bitcoin evolves in the next 30 years. And I'm just glad that we were all alive to see this white paper released and be part of this technological revolution. Amen. That was magical. Thank you, Santosh. Those are awesome insights. And yeah, I always love, it's like, I realize that I'm not going to think about what you guys say because, uh, you know, I just want to make sure we get everything said. But when I listen to this a second time, it'll be interesting to hear these things that you guys are saying because they're all these perspectives are, are like kind of like angles that I hadn't come at it from. Um, so just to note that piece of art uh, on X, it is Bianca BTC art. If you want to support her or check out what she does and she is in Argentina. So thank you everyone for, um, you know, Luke, Dan, Santosh for your insights on the white paper. And if you're listening to this and you haven't read the white paper, maybe pause this right now, read the white paper. You can access it online. It's open source, print it off even better. Um, and set a reminder on your calendar to read it every day this year, even better, better, because I think most of the time, the only thing missing from a behavior getting done is a prompt. It's not because we don't want to, it's because we forget. And setting a prompt on my calendar is how I make sure I get things done. And I think it works for a lot of people. So for the second half of today, we're going to talk about uh, a really important element of the Bitcoin ethos, which is self-custody, this notion of taking on full responsibility for handling and managing uh, your own private keys. And so each speaker is going to share self-custody insights. I expect they'll be very different because of the different backgrounds people come from. Uh, and specifically, I think a question I'm always curious about is, you know, why is self-custody important as a Bitcoiner? Um, because it's one thing to have people understand why they should put, you know, start putting some of their time and energy into a, a sound force of sound form of money, but it seems to be a big obstacle and something difficult. Uh, you know, everyone takes their own journey to self custody, and I'm always just curious as to how we can lower the obstacle to self custody so that more people can be interested in it and more people, not just interested, but actually confident, more confident custodying their own wealth than the confidence most people have by giving it that responsibility to someone else because they actually don't acknowledge the true risk. And I agree with what you said, Santosh. I think coming from the world of health, I've noticed one of the biggest truths that I found is people learn through pain or through curiosity. And the reality is most people aren't that curious. And the ones who are, a lot of those people just are on such a fiat, are so deeply in the fiat spell, they don't have time to actually explore their curiosity. And so it's kind of this juxtaposition sometimes where until you store your time in scarce money, you might not have time to pursue your curiosity. But in this case, being curious can actually avoid you a huge amount of pain. Um, so Luke, 
you work with people as Bitcoin advisor and you help them understand the importance of self-custody and to sort of gain the ability to confidently manage their keys collaboratively or independently. Um, so I'd love to hear your perspective of you doing this work and also just any sort of cheat codes that you have from your own personal experience um, navigating the self-custody sort of trail. So go for it. 10 minutes. It's all yours. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, first, regarding pain and what was said about Argentina, I fully agree with that. Um, right before, well, earlier today, I was talking, uh, I, I recorded a podcast earlier today with a gentleman I had just met from Argentina. And it, it's the same thing. Bitcoin adoption there is far beyond where it, here, where it is here in the United States, but we're still talking like half a percent, you know, way less than 1%, right? You know, so I, I think the pain message is really really clear you know i i think as much as i'm a moon boy as people call me online um i i'm much more quote-unquote pessimistic on the timeline i think it's gonna be a very long time i think it's going to be years of normalcy quote-unquote and then another leg down massive pain kind of like we saw in 2020 2021 then a few more years of normal and down again i think it's just gonna be that stair step down and down and down some areas probably more like a cliff but i i think i think most people are only going to learn about this through pain, uh, unfortunately, you know, people are not willing to consider the alternate to their pain at 2% inflation or 2% pain. They're not willing to consider it at 4%, 6%, 8% pain. And we've seen in Argentina, even at 100% pain or 100% inflation, people will still have a very hard time understanding Bitcoin, although they do faster and they do faster by like a, you know, 2x, 5x, 10x multiplier, but still one way or the other, it's, uh, it's going to take a long time. And I, that gets right to self-custody. I think perhaps the better metric of, of, of determining how far is Bitcoin adoption, I, I think it's better than the surveys. I think it's better than how many people bought it on exchange. I think the better way is how many people are taking self-custody, as it was wonderfully po pointed out, um, earn and spend versus buy and sell. I think these are much better metrics for how many people um, have adopted Bitcoin. And that's very early, right? There's only four or 5 million addresses with over a 10th of a Bitcoin. So it's like, you know, hopefully every single person watching this has at least a 10th of a Bitcoin and some form of cold storage or, or self-custody, right? Um, so that that's really critical. And, and I and I know this is segues very well to your point of your conversation, but it, it is really important. I, as you said, I do work at the Bitcoin Advisor uh, Peter Dunworth's uh, company. He's been doing this seven years. We're the longest in the business. Uh, frankly, we have uh, very little competition. Um, you know, we've not a single client has ever lost a SAP um, of ours. You know, we help companies, we help individuals, we help charities, churches, um, all of that. And so it's it, it's it's a thrill. I I love it. Um, I've been talking with Peter Peter since February about this, and I think I think it's critical because I think. Most people, including Bitcoiners, perhaps a lot of people watching this, know they should take self-custody. They hear people talk about it all the time, but they think they have time. They think they can figure it out. And my message, I repeat again and again and again, I pound the table, is that we may have less time than we think because, okay, if you want a hot wallet, if you want a cold wallet, if you want a single SIG, multi-SIG, whatever, it's like, what do you think is going to happen when half the people interested in Bitcoin, only, only half the people interested in Bitcoin, I think that's optimistic have taken self-custody. The other half haven't. They've still got their sats on whatever exchange. Okay. And then all the number of people interested in Bitcoin goes up by a factor of 10. It's like, what do you, what do you think happens there? You know, like, what do you think is going to happen to cold card? What do you think is going to happen to treasure? What do you think is going to happen to Blockstream, Jades? And I was like, like, you're not going to be able to order a, a hardware wallet. It's like, I mean, I, I, you know, in my other businesses and just life, it's like, it takes forever for me to get my car fixed to the mechanic. It takes forever for me to get a plumber. It takes forever for anything to ever get done. And it's like, I, I don't think most Bitcoiners have truly thought through the urgency of this is that right now it feels like we have plenty of time. Like, oh yeah, maybe we have three years, but in six months it might feel like we have a year and a half. And it's like coins are being, are being drained from exchanges for the first time since 2020, like net, right? So we have not even begun. We, we have literally, as bullish as we all are, we have literally not begun to feel the true scarcity impact of Bitcoin on U.S. denominated price, right? And this is something my my friend and partner at the Bitcoin Advisor, Peter Denver, talks about is like the the rate at which this could hyper accelerate. Just most people are not considering that. 
and price and everyone gets bullish about that, but it's like, everything's a trade-off. You can be hyper bullish about that. But for all the Bitcoiners and all the people that do not have their self-custody down, um, it's going to be really painful because you're going to wake up and realize, oh, wait, I need to like cancel everything, figure out my self-custody now. Oh, wait, you know, I, I heard that loot guy talking on that one show back of Bitcoin white paper day and I didn't reach out to him. I didn't order my hardware wallet. I didn't do all these things because I thought I had time. And now, oh, crap, Luke's booked out three months. I mean, like, I literally booked out to the end of November right now. We're recording this October 31st. And we're at three-year bear market lows. And the vast majority of people hitting me up are individuals. It's like, and our team has tripled in the last, like, couple of months here. It's like, <laughs> the demand is so strong for self-custody. I think FTX really accelerated this. I think the ETF is really accelerating this. And so I, my rambling point here to people is whatever you're doing, figure it out now. Don't rush. Take your time. Slow and steady. But start moving on that track now because I, I, I'm, I'm on the inside of that self-custody multi-sig world. I'm, I'm talking to these people. I'm hearing their questions. We're having those conversations. And the last few months since February, it's just hyper accelerating. And even though it's a small nominal percentage now, the same way with Bitcoin adoption, I was saying at the beginning of my uh, point here about uh, Argentina, it's like right now there's not a self-custody urgency crisis of it hitting the fan, but the rate at which it's accelerating, it's like if we go out another year or two years at this rate, plus a having plus um, QE, plus lowering rate, it's like all the reasons you're bullish for next cycle are on the flip side, reasons why you should be seriously considering yourself custody now so um so anyway that's my larger more altruistic point to people is to really be thinking that seriously i'm sure the other two guys will talk more about specific tips trip tick trips um uh, tips or tricks um but i just really want to pound the, the urgency because um a lot a lot's happening and a lot's developing behind the scenes really quickly and it's really exciting like i love it like literally 10 12 hours a day i'm doing multi-sig stuff um, you know, with, with the Bitcoin advisor and all that, but, um, and elsewhere too, but, um, anyway, it, it's so exciting and it's changing so fast and it's going to be both thrilling and terrifying. And I just hope people get their coins up exchanges because, you know, we've seen it with gold, we've seen it with everything else. It's going to be really quick. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, uh, enough about that. My, my role at the Bitcoin advisor, uh, what, what we do is we do collateral custody, uh, multi-sig. Uh, vaults for people. So essentially we help the clients set up their own multi-sig vault. It's really intimidating for people. And we help them either with a three key or very soon a four key setup. Uh, we help them set up their vault to what makes them comfortable, right? So the client has a key, we have a key, other custodians or key agents have their own keys and we basically help them. So that in the event of them losing their keys and they're forgetting where they place their keys um, and, and, uh, and someone taking their keys, $5 wrench attack, a 6102 attack, you know, on and on and on. All the dozens of internal and external threats. Uh, we basically work with the client to help them diversify and help them consider all the trade-offs, positive and negative, to various key setups, single SIG, multi-SIG, whatever. Um, and a big part of that, too, is jurisdictional arbitrage. You know, a lot of our clients like to have three keys in three different countries, like ultimate security. That's our number one um, objective, number one priority. And so it, it, it's a lot of fun. So, you know, if people want to check out the Bitcoin advisor, they can just Google the Bitcoin advisor, advisor with ER. Um, if they want to talk to me, they can just do Bitcoin advisor slash Luke Broyles, B-R-O-Y-L-E-S. And we give out dozens of pages of free self-custody education. Um, the first consultation with me is free. It's a blast. I love it. I, I love my job. It, it's literally helping people. I, my job is literally to drain the exchanges, right? You know, six, eight, ten hours a day. I'm helping people take their coins off exchanges, and I'm I'm watching it real time. The exchanges being drained. So please, whether you you know use Bitcoin Advisor or not, you do your own thing or not, whatever, just do it because it's happening. It's like that part that part in the Big Short where Steve Carell's like, "It's happening! It's happening!" Yeah. And it's it, like it's happening, and it's not because most people don't realize it's happening. But under the scenes, it's happening. It's happening like. Literally right before this call, I was looking at the chart of um, our, our company, you know, all, all of our metrics of the rate of acceleration. It's just, it's crazy. So pe people are figuring it out. The ETF stuff's really making the smart people think. So do it. Not your keys, not your coins. And yeah, it shit happens way quicker than you think. 
uh, it's almost like the metaphor I often use and that I kind of feel sometimes is like all us Bitcoiners are out on this boat and we're out like deep ocean out and we have, we have a seismograph and a tectonic blast just happened in the middle of the ocean and the seismograph came up and said like the the biggest tsunami everyone nobody has seen a tsunami this big because it's never happened before but it just started and you're at the epicenter and you're the only people that know and it's almost like we've come to shore somehow we've we've hyper warped to shore and we're like hey we just saw this thing that just happened out there and some really crazy stuff is coming so you should all move inland you know do all the things which is like you should all self-custody because there's a tsunami coming and when it hits you're not going to be able to get the hardware device because there's not going to be anything left uh or there will be things left but it's going to be so obliterated it's gonna take a long time to rebuild and so you must do this now before the thing comes because when it comes you can't do it then yeah and if i can add one more thing that sorry for going over but it's okay people think of these things individually they don't combine them together it's like you won't be able to order with the hardware wallet and transaction fees will be exponentially higher because now you're competing with high network individuals and companies and the exchanges are going under and inflation is probably worse than it's ever been and this and this and this and and you can't I mean, it's like Everyone at Swan all the time is going to be sucked away. Everyone at the Bitcoin Advisor all the time is going to be sucked away. Unchained all the time. It's like, like all these things will happen at once, in my opinion. I don't think it'll be a cliff. Like I said, I do think it'll be stair step. Like, but there'll be periods of six, nine months, probably, where I think it's incredibly difficult. Then you'll have a couple years reorient. But it's, yeah, I, I think it'll be um, a volatile um, Bitcoin adoption. But ultimately, on the other side, everyone's self-sovereign and it's a it's a bright future so yeah i'm excited agreed so do it now and don't make excuses because they might come bite you in the ass uh so um dan you so you don't actively i mean dan's an emergency room uh medicine doctor he's a he's an emergency room doctor so he, from what i know you don't teach self-custody all day but i actually think that the people the just normal people who have their work in another industry actually have often from what I've learned from Bitcoiners that I know have valuable insights to share about self-custody because we're all, it's almost like we all have no choice, but to learn about self-custody to some extent. And so it's not just the people who are helping others self-custody. It's also just like the average person who has navigated their self-custody journey often has cool insights to share. So Dan, it's all yours. Uh, would love to hear your thoughts on self-custody and any experiences related to your journey. Yeah, uh, we make, um, I think all of the educators uh, do a great job of laying out a lot of the options, but we all make self-custody way too complicated for people that make it seem mentally burdensome. Um, self-custody is the easiest thing in the world and everyone should do it because it allows you to learn how to use Bitcoin. If you don't want to learn how to use Bitcoin, you probably shouldn't buy Bitcoin uh, or earn Bitcoin or or uh you know, or trade your goods for Bitcoin, and you wouldn't be because you you would have no interest in Bitcoin. So, self-custing Bitcoin is 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 using Bitcoin, uh, and that is sort of the first step is wanting to use it. And the next step is basically the easiest step in the world. It involves either choosing the platform you're going to self-custody on to start, not with thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars, but with a small amount of money. Do you want to start on your desktop? Well, then there's some very easy desktop wallets you can use. Do you want to just use it on your phone? It's probably a more secure device than most people's desktop computer. You simply download Blue Wallet, you get your transaction, uh, you get your you get your address, you receive a small amount of funds, and you write down 12 words, 24 words. And then you treat that with respect. Um, I think most of the horror stories you hear about people losing Bitcoin are from times in which they simply maybe did not respect what they had. They you know, thought it was worth 15 cents, even though they had 15,000 Bitcoin uh, and they lost their computer or they had no idea that Bitcoin would move to you know, even $35,000 uh, and they you know, threw away their public key address or lost it or didn't write it down. Um, and then after you just have it written down, uh, you have it stored in a circular place, and you think about it and you realize that it may have substantial value, you then begin to investigate more secure ways of storing those words. 
whether that is etching those words onto steel, whether that is using a hardware device, which is certainly not necessary and should not be any encumbrance, uh, even in the most dire circumstances to start self-custodying. Uh, there's no need to buy a $100 treasure at first. You just simply use a software wallet and you learn to do single SIG um, ownership of your keys. And you learn how to receive a transaction uh, and you use the wallet to send a transaction. And then you can begin to investigate many of the other much more secure, but much also more challenging ways of learning uh, how to uh, transact and store your Bitcoin, um, which can involve multi-sig, which can involve a hardware wallet, which can involve passphrases, uh, which can involve geographic separation, but never have to, uh, and certainly should not be a deterrent for you know self-custodying your very first transaction. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think we do often hype it up, you know, even with words like multi-sig, like that's a beautiful feature to have, but it's not, it's an advanced feature. And like, I didn't get to multi-sig until like probably like four years into, you know, custodying my own keys for the first time. Like it's not a, and it's funny because now that I say that it's like back then the actual technological options were very unintuitive. And as a non-technical person, it was more effort for me, but now it's like, literally you're having multi-sig now when, like when we use nunchuck for the truck Canadian truckers, like it was the most intuitive process I've ever done. And I was like, this is tremendous. And this is such a an upgrade to the user experience and a lowering of barriers really. And so you can only imagine in a year from now, what kind of apps, literally open source apps, we're gonna be able to get on our mobile devices that give us some of the most secure ways to store our own keys and to take sovereignty over our funds. And unfortunately, I think this is so similar where, you know, curiosity or pain, right? Same thing. It's like, sometimes you gotta get rugged to get your self-custody act in gear. Uh, and the hope is that when people have funds taken or stolen or funds that they can't access, um, that they remit, that they learn the lesson, right? And they learn that, okay, well, next time, it could have been way worse because it could have been all my Bitcoin. Maybe it wasn't all my Bitcoin or maybe it was early in my Bitcoin journey. But it seems like losing a bit of Bitcoin or realizing the risk of not taking full self-custody is kind of what some people need. And, you know, the hope with pieces of, events like this or content online is to stimulate a bit more curiosity so that people do the hard thing before the hard thing can't be done in a short enough time for them to do what it's supposed to do. Um, and, you know, it's almost Tor de Meester has a great report. And in there, he basically says like, right now we have the ability to buy portfolio insurance for our life's wealth, even though the proverbial kitchen is already smoking. Like usually when your house is on fire, you can't buy fire insurance. We have this unique moment where like, we already see that the house is on fire and yet we have this lifeline. We click a few buttons and we can get house insurance to cover us for a disaster that has already started. If we're looking deep enough or just smelling, <laughs> just smell the air. Um, so yeah, I think that resonates with me. It's a journey. I think it has to just be a practice where you literally just have to have a practice. Like Saturday is for studying Satoshi's paper. That's what it is for me. So it's like, if I tried to chew off a full multi-sig setup in one morning, it would probably be really intimidating. I'd probably never do it. But if I just chew away at like one small element, take a note on one micro element of what a multi-sig is and learn about it, I get more comfortable. There's less barriers. I'm chipping away at the work, creating my own blockchain of work every seventh day. And eventually it becomes something that's very intuitive. And actually for me, it made me realize like, it was so silly that I didn't do this earlier because the risk of not having this when I truly need it when it's really important now seems like a, a risk I shouldn't have taken in hindsight. So hopefully we can convey that with this uh, event. So Santosh, um, you're up next. Thanks for that, Dan. That was awesome. Thanks, Luke. Santosh, you're up 10 minutes and then we'll wrap it up. Thanks, Caribou. Uh, Luke, you know, you brought up something that I haven't really thought about, about the urgency of self-custody and it's quite alarming as I sort of think through what could potentially come down the path for us next year and the year after. But yes, supply chains for these hardware wallets are not going to be ready. People are going to be caught off guard. So my sort of insights were not in line with the urgency, but I do agree with it. I was sort of more in line with Dan about the journey aspect. So uh, I am aligned that people need to get their crap in order so they're not caught flat-footed. 
But I do want to say that as Bitcoiners, we sometimes overcomplicate what is needed for an individual based on their needs. And most of my perspective is very, it's aligned with adoption because I spent a decade of my career helping organizations adopt technology. And now I just want to help them adopt Bitcoin. And no one starts off with a multi-sig, running their own node, steel backup and whatnot. So I wanted to share a story. Earlier this year, I convinced my barber to accept Bitcoin. And the first app I had him download before everyone panics, it was Wallet of Satoshi. And I know it's not self-custody. And the reason I do that, because Wallet of Satoshi is the only app right now that goes from, yes, I will accept Bitcoin to accepting Bitcoin in almost less than 30 seconds. You go to App Store, you download Wallet of Satoshi, you click start, you click receive, you've got Bitcoin. There isn't writing seed words. There isn't writing a, you don't have to click any other additional dialogue boxes to receive Bitcoin. So I made it very clear to my barber, listen, this is just the first app. Next time I come to you, we'll upgrade this app, but register your email with this app. He said, okay. Three weeks later, I went for my next haircut. I actually convinced him to give a 5% discount to, for anyone that pays in Bitcoin. So that was a win. But then we moved his, yeah, we moved his app or we moved the sats from Wallet of Satoshi to Moon because now it was his second payment. I didn't want it in Wallet of Satoshi anymore. So we moved it to Moon and I made it clear this time, okay, now you're starting to take self-custody. We'll explain more about that as we continue this journey. But now you need to make sure you go through the security aspect of this app and go through the backup process, your email and write down your code. So the next time I came, so this is the third visit, I made sure it was backed up. I made sure he had it written down in two different places. And he was aware what the consequences would be if he lost those words or that backup. I'm no longer in the country. So he sends me an update once a month on how he's progressing with Bitcoin payments. But because Moon isn't standard lightning or true lightning, I do need to upgrade the app that he's using. But as passionate Bitcoiners, it's so easy to be like, yeah, you should do this extreme setup. And is that really needed for a $30 haircut? No. Some will argue maybe. But now if you're planning on securing Bitcoin for your business or employees, which Luke is clearly working on on a daily basis, what do you do then? So a farmer that used to sell me meat in exchange for Bitcoin once in uh, in our meetup came to me and said, hey, can you help me with the cold card? And I said, absolutely, I'll help you with the cold card. So he came over one day, we set up his Sparrow wallet on desktop, we exported the EXPUB, we received and sent funds all in an air gap fashion using Sparrow and cold card. A little extreme for the barber, but not so much for the farmer and his needs. Two months later, he messages me and he says, I kind of need help with the node. Can you help me out? I may bring a farm, another farmer friend. And I said, sure. So I had two farmers in my living room. We are putting, pulling apart this refurbished PC, putting in a two terabyte SSD and looking to install StartOS. They came into my home having basic computer skills and they left being able to troubleshoot their BIOS. All to say that this was just another step in their self-custody journey. Next, they said, you know what? We want to get a Blockstream receiver set up because we don't want to be reliant on our local ISP. We want to be connected to a satellite so that if there are any issues with the internet, with our local provider, we have a backup. So self-custody is really an evolution based on someone's exposure to Bitcoin and how much they're learning. So if let's say we didn't have the concept of a bank, I came to you and gave you $10,000. You know, Caribou, you're not going to walk around with $10,000 in your wallet. What do you do? You put $100 in your wallet, maybe a couple hundred dollars in a cupboard. And if you have a safe, you put the remaining $9,700 in the safe. Similarly with Bitcoin, maybe $10 is okay with wallet of Satoshi. If it increases, put that in a Phoenix. That's self-custody. $1,000, maybe a hardware wallet. Hundreds of thousand dollars, maybe self, or sorry, maybe multi-sig. You know, some that hear this might be like, wow, I can't believe this person's mentioning Wallet of Satoshi. But you have to realize adoption occurs in stages. You know, you can't overwhelm an individual because it'll just put them off. You can't start off someone saying, hey, let me give you a Bitcoin penny. But you have to write these 12 words down before I give you this Bitcoin penny. It's a little, it's impractical to think that that individual will go through the pain of writing the 12 words down to get one Satoshi. Some might. But a majority of them are not going to because it's a hindrance for that single Bitcoin penny that they're receiving. 
And, you know, Dan mentioned on this too, that we need to make it easier for individuals to actually self-custody. And I believe there's a fear involved with this. And it's really interesting to see because, you know, humans feel like we're responsible enough to drive around in metal vehicles that can kill people. We have children, we raise children. We explore new geographies without much. But when it comes to money, we are sort of reliant on a third party and a middleman to hold these this value on our behalf. Why is that? And I don't have a direct answer aside from the fact that we've pretty much lived in society where centuries we've had this middleman who we could leave our funds with. But how do we address this fear? Well, first, we need to normalize that we are okay to protect our own, our own wealth and we are responsible to do so. You know, we need to treat self-custody as a step function. If you only have a 10,000 sats, do you need a hardware wallet? No. But as you grow, as you learn, you're going to need a hardware wallet. We're also going to need unique self-custody solutions. And I don't think we haven't really, I'm sure as the pain increases, more innovation will occur in this space. I haven't personally played around with border wallets, but it visualizes your uh, out of the bit 2048 words in a grid that you can visualize. Um, this was very interesting. A friend in Namibia told me that he's heard mothers make the seed words into a lullaby and sing it to their babies. So now imagine this, you've taken something so complicated and you've made a song out of it. And now you're singing it to your baby who's going to remember the song forever. And only the baby and the mom is going to know. And this is going to protect this child's future wealth in such a simple manner. You know, my personal journey as well, it didn't start with the multi-sig setup with steel backups with name it, name, name the way to do it. I, my first exchange was actually Quadriga, which was like blown up in Canada. Fortunately, I moved my funds before that complete fiasco. And we all will agree, you know, not your keys, not your coins. There are just levels to how secure your keys are. And we need to be aware at the stage that the other party is in and provide advice accordingly. And I'm a culprit. You know, I, I am a hypocrite because at sometimes I've overprescribed a self-custody method for someone that's not ready for it. But also, if we all strive to sort of piecemeal self-custody, it'll provide a better experience for everyone going down the rabbit hole and Given the timelines that we're at, I probably will echo what Luke said, which is, yes, you can piecemeal it, but there is a little bit of urgency of that piecemealing. So get on that journey now. Awesome. Thank you, Santosh. Those were, that was awesome. Side note, I have a broke down laptop. I need to learn how to navigate my BIOS because... Those are some advanced ass farmers you just spoke about. And it's making me feel like my tech game is, is weak right now. Uh, and I will also say that I also start with wallet of Satoshi for like one of my favorite softest orange pills is a 21 sat tip. Um, so I go a couple of times a week, I go buy this like scratch made cookie at a local business and I tip her 21 sats and she's so excited. Like each time I do it and she sees the amount go up. And she realizes like the first time we did, I, I'll never forget. She was like, well, when do I have to give my ID? You don't. Well, when do I have to sign up with my email? You don't. I was like, you own 21 units of the world's best money. You didn't have fast permission. No one knows you have it except for me and you. And that was, that just got her very, you know, like a seed was planted in that moment where she cannot unsee that she cannot unexperience it. And now she has family, I believe in uh, Southeast Asia. And I know that, you know, I'm pretty sure she sends money back there and I bet you she's paying a shitload of fees to do that. And I bet you on the other side, there was all this KYC and nonsense. And so it gets, you know, I use, and I always make sure to say that, you know, all Satoshi is for your pocket change, anything more than that, you probably want to have it more secure because if your phone gets smashed or hacked, that's gone too. So the next step is to have a backup so that if something happens to your phone, you still have the Bitcoin. And inevitably, you know, I think one thing I've seen is that, people must have the amount of wealth to justify the level of effort with their self-custody complexity. So if someone has 10,000 sats, they're not going to spend 10, 10, 50 hours understanding what multi-sig is, right? But when they have a hundred thousand, you know, fiat dollars worth of Bitcoin, it's like th they develop this innate need, usually through anxiety or through worry about the fact that their Bitcoin might not be safe to say, that's the nudge to say, you should probably elevate your self-custody security. 
And so I think, I think it just comes with the amount of wealth you have in Bitcoin or the amount, I should say the amount of purchasing power in Bitcoin that you have is a direct nudge to upgrading your self-custody strategy to align with something that you're comfortable with. It doesn't have to be super advanced, but it's what we all have our own risk tolerances. Um, and I think with self-custody, my favorite heuristic to remember is that there are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And the more your circumstances change, the more you have to reevaluate trade-offs. And the only constant is change because the world is changing. You know, your perceived sense of certainty in the future is changing. So no solutions, only trade-offs and regularly evaluating those trade-offs as the world changes is probably a good idea. So that is it for our scheduled programming. We are on time, which is always nice. So thank you, Luke, Dan, and Santosh for being here. And thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this event, you can zap sats to Finney 21 on Noster, or you can boost sats to this podcast episode using Fountain. And all the boosts uh, to this podcast and the zaps sent to Finney 21 with the message 1031 are going to be used for the Genesis event, which is our next event that we're going to do on Jan 3, 2024. Uh, and so if you want to support that event or speak at that event, uh, or attend live, because we might do some sort of live event portion of it, um, just DM Finney21 on Noster. And if you go to finney21.com, uh, you'll be able to see uh, our Noster public key. And if you don't know what Noster is, maybe a good moment for you to be able to see what a decentralized form of social media looks like in a, in a, um, a communication protocol that's layered on the internet that has the features of Bitcoin, but with informational communication that actually harmonizes really well with the Bitcoin protocol of value communication. So the long-term plan with these actually is to eventually do these white paper events in person. So the hope is that people enjoy these, we can um, get people donating or supporting and do them in person. I think that would be a lot of fun. So thank you to Finney21 for sponsoring this session so that we could compensate these speakers for their time and, and the people who are putting energy into putting this on all the platforms. Uh, like I said, our next event is a Genesis block event on Jan 3, 2024. And uh, you can just send Finney21 a DM on Noster if you're curious about that. So wishing you all a really wonderful day. I know it won't be white paper when most people watch this. It won't be white paper day when most people watch this, but um, October 31 hopefully has a different meaning for you now and maybe a good excuse to read the white paper each year and maybe do a big revisit of your self-custody. So wishing you all a great day and lots of love.